You're listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. Everyone loves a good love story, but too many of us spend our lives disappointed with the storyline that ends up narrating our marriages and relationships. This message is from part three of our series, An Honest Love Story, where we are learning that maybe the storyline isn't the problem. Maybe it's how we're reading the love story that makes the difference. And now here's our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. All right, well, so uh, yesterday was what day? What was a special day yesterday? Saturday. Saturday, yeah. That's why you're single. Yeah, it was Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, and, and we thought um, here, since we're in, in, in a love and relationship and marriage series, that we would kind of celebrate uh, uh, Valentine's Day our own way. Now, now one of the ways, <clears throat> I, I don't know if, if you did this growing up, especially in middle school, man. In middle school, this was the jam. You get those little heart candies, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? And they have like little secret messages on them like, you're the one for me or be mine or, you know, hot stuff. And it's got two T's, you know, it's for real, you know. And then like, like this is what you really do. You take one of those that kind of embodies your feelings for another person and you just like put it on their desk <laughs> and you just leave it there. You just walk away, you know what I'm saying? And then they come over and they look at it and they're like, hot stuff. And like, whoa, who likes me? And then as they casually look around the room, you're just waiting because you're sitting there and you just give them the slight nod, you know, like, yeah, that's me, girl. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? Um, here's the thing. When it comes to those candies, after you get married, I don't, I don't feel like we give those to each other anymore. Like, you know, I, I don't know that we come home as husbands and wives and like say, hey, babe, here's some candies for you, hot stuff, or, um, you know, like, you're rad. I don't know. I don't know what they say. <laughs> so we, we decided that we were going to make some what we would call honest love candies. So if we were going to give those to our husbands and spouses, what would they probably say inside of our marriages today? So take a look at some of our honest love candies. If we could see, see those this morning. There we go. I have a headache. That's probably a little bit more honest. I love relationship. What else do we have? Yeah, watching TV, right? These, you, you should be laughing more. These, this is all I have this morning. All right, next. I work late. <laughs> next, what else do we have? Uh, what's for dinner? There's an honest. Can you imagine getting that when you come home? Like, hey, happy Valentine's Day. I got you some canes. Oh, what's for dinner? Really romantic. Next, what else do we have? That's it? Okay, here we go. Not tonight. I don't get it. Next. Next is the last one. You smell. These are great. And so what we're going to do this morning is we want to honor um, those of you. We want to honor marriage this morning. And so we have some of these right here to give out. So I, I, I'd like to, if we could do this, we're going to go old school, old school Baptist church, if we could, and uh, do a kind of a call and response here. If, if you have been married for the longest time, we're going to give you a bag of these rotten candies. Yeah, really sweet, really, really loving and kind. So if you've, if you've been married for more than, and you're still, and you're still married, okay, let's just say that. Um, if you've been married for over 20 years, would you just stand up real quick? Stand up real quick, anybody in here? Yeah, yeah. All right, okay, okay, hey, calm down. They haven't won yet, don't clap for them. What about if you've been married for over 25 years, stay standing. Oh, this is a tough crowd. Here we go. Okay, if you've been married over 27 years. All right, if you've been married over 35 years. 
Uh-oh. Whoa. Whoa, is that it? Is that? No, no, we have over here. Are you guys standing up? Oh, over 30, over, th what did I say? What was the last thing I said? 35, 36 years. 37 years. 37 years. There we have it. Up there. Is that, is that our last couple? Who else is standing? I'm sorry. I cannot literally see a thing. They're together. Yeah, come on. Like, boy, that would have been a long one, wouldn't have been? Like, we have a tie. All right, so we have some candy. We have some uh, candies. If you could come down afterwards, we'll give these to you, okay? Give them a clap. <clears throat> All right, and in the spirit of, uh, of fairness, we also have one of these honorable, uh, honest love story candies for the couple who has been married the least amount of time, okay? So if you've been married for one day, stand up. Oh, man, I was really hoping for that. If you've been married for under a year, would you stand up real quick? Under a year. Under. Oh, nice. All right, now it's going to get real. All right, under eight months. Hold on, you're counting? She's asking her husband. Travis, how long have you guys been married? Nine months. Nine months? Okay, now it's going to get real. How many, how many, like, what month and day were you married, man? I was there, but I did it. But what? 231 days. 231 days. You win husband of the year, by the way. <laughs> Travis? <laughs> he doesn't know. He doesn't know. All right, we have a winner. Yes. Fair enough. You guys can come down and get this very nutritious goodness after worship is over today. That was awesome. All right, hey, I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of James. We're going to be there today, James chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be pulling a lot of, of good stuff from chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Um, before we do, though, I want to tell you a little bit of a story uh, about something unique that happened to me when I was younger. When I was, uh, when I, was I would say, about 7th or 8th grade, I stayed the night at one of my friend's house. And my friend's dad happened to be a pastor. And uh, so, you know, we stay, I stayed over the weekend, and so Friday night is great, and then Saturday night we're waking up early to go to church the next morning because they're all riding together as a family. And on the way to church, we're all looking good, we're in our Sunday best, you know how Sunday morning goes. Uh, all of our hair is did, all of our clothes are, are good, you know. I'm in the back seat in this minivan with my buddy. And all of a sudden, his dad, the pastor, and his mom, the first lady, I guess, I don't know, <laughs> get into an argument. Now, I don't know if you've ever been with a friend or at a friend's house when their parents get into an argument, but let's just say it's not awesome. Like, it's not fun. It's not great. In fact, if I could put it in one word, it would be awkward, right? You ever been in an awkward moment like that where you literally can't escape? There's nothing I could have done unless I, like, rolled out of a moving vehicle and, and here's the thing, it wasn't just like um, a, a little bit of a disagreement. It turned into like a full-on fight. It was not a spat. It was not a little bit of a rumble. It was a fight. They were yelling at each other. And I'm sitting in the back, and my buddy, he's like not even like caring at all. He's just sitting there playing his Game Boy. You know, normal Sunday morning, I guess. And so here is the dad. Here is the mom, the pastor of the church that we're going to that he's about to preach at. And I'm sitting there just like this, you know. And he's yelling at his wife, you always do this. And you always bring this up. And she's like, no, I don't. It's your fault. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? How do I get out of this? 
And I just sat there and I just kind of slunk down in my seat. So it happens for all the way. I mean, it happens all the way to this church. We pull in the parking lot and I'm kidding you. As they're opening the doors, all of a sudden it stops. And they open the doors and they come around and open our door and they get out and they're like, hey, this is going to be a great day. And I'm like, who are you? Like, <laughs> you're freaking me out, right? Because they're smiling now. Then they walk over, grab hands and look at each other with loving eyes and like walk in. And I, I kid you not, I kid you not. I'm thinking about this the whole worship service, kind of like, uh, I'm kind of freaked out. I still got to go home with these people. Are they going to go, you know, Jekyll and Hyde on the way home? And, and so the pastor gets up to preach and, and he talks about his loving wife in the sermon. In fact, she sits down front and he actually points to her and, and he just talks about his love for her and, and talks about how wonderful of a woman she is. And she's like sitting there smiling and everything. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I don't think you're telling the truth right now. <laughs> like, I was, like, were you in that van like 25 minutes ago? Because, man, it was going down. They were like throwing down and very strange, right? Now, of course, none of us have ever fought on the way to church. Of course, none of us, right? Um, let's just be honest. We're in an honest love story. Here, here's the truth. All couples fight. Can we just say amen to that? All couples fight. And if you say, oh, we don't fight, then, then you may not fight, but you do lie because you're a liar. <laughs> so that's, that's fine. You can go either way there. But, but all couples do fight. Here's the difference. Extraordinary couples fight clean. Ordinary couples fight dirty. Extraordinary couples fight clean. Ordinary couples fight dirty. Another way to say it is this. Extraordinary couples work for resolution and ordinary couples press for victory. I'm going to explain this a little bit more, but before we do, I want to talk to you about this guy named Dr. John Gottman. Anybody heard of Dr. John Gottman before? Dr. John Gottman is a psychologist known for his work on marital stability and relationship analysis through scientific direct observation. Okay, so basically what he has done is he has an office or a, a compound, if you will, um, and I got to make sure I get this right. It's often referred to as the love lab, kind of creepy. So if you get an invitation from Dr. Gottman to come to his love lab, that would be a little strange. But it's actually, it's actually a real place in Seattle. And what he does is he, have a, he has a staff, and they bring a couple in, and they sit down over the period of a weekend. They ask them questions uh, that were uh, pre-submitted by the couple to the love lab to Dr. John Gottman that are hot button issues. Maybe concerning how they handle their finances, how they discipline children, whatever it might be. And he puts a heart rate monitor on you. He videotapes you. He watches you. His staff sits down and analyzes your body language, your, your verbal cues. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, after he has basically stirred up a little bit of a fight, Dr. John Gottman is able to predict over a 30-year span. He is now able to predict with 91% accuracy whether or not a couple will stay married or whether or not they will get divorced. Isn't that fascinating? Just from watching them for a day or two and how they fight. Why? Because it's not a question of if you fight, it's a question of how you fight. It's not if you fight, it's how you fight. And scripture has a lot to say about this. It truly does. And James chapter one is gonna be our primary text for today. And I'm gonna give you what I would call a very bullet point prescriptive kind of outline at the beginning. Then I'm gonna kind of preach at you towards the end. Is that okay? Can we do that this morning? Yes. So we're gonna move kind of quickly through this and I'd encourage you to take notes. Um, here we go, James 1.19 says this, everyone should be 
quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Let me read that one more time. In fact, would you just read that with me? Starting in verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Come on with me. Verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Or as you are reading, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. All right. So... Here's the idea, just like in any arena of life, right? Just like in any arena of sports, in life, we need a ref. Just like there needs to be a ref to call, uh, you know, a timeout or a foul or a, a technical, we need to have a ref in our marriage. Some of you are like, you're speaking my language. I need a ref in my home to blow the whistle on my husband like all the time. Uh, where do we find that? Is it accountability? Is it that kind of a structure? Is it getting involved in a, in a group of believers? Those things help. But the fact of the matter is, God should be the ref of our marriage in a covenantal view of marriage. Amen? God should be the ref. And here is God's rules for fighting fair, laid out for us in the book of James chapter 1. Let's talk about it. God's rules for fighting fair. Number one. Number one is this. Stop and listen carefully. Number one, stop and listen carefully. Let's see what it says in James 1, one more time. Starting in verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen, period. Everyone should be quick to listen. Or maybe Proverbs 18, 2 would put it better when it says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. <laughs> now, I don't know um, how this works in your house, uh, but in, in my house, um, sometimes communication is difficult, Right? Uh, and we got kids and we got a cat. I don't know what that has to do with it, but it was, I don't like it, so it's there. And, um, and sometimes it's difficult to communicate. And sometimes it's difficult to just to get a moment to yourself. You know what I mean? It's like when you enter parenthood, it's like, hey, my life is not for me anymore. Um, and, and you just, when you have a moment of, of, of silence and solitude, you just soak it in and suck it in, right? You just soak it up. And so a little while ago, we had put our kids down to bed and, and we're sitting down on the couch and I picked up my phone and I was texting somebody, talking to somebody and I'm sitting there, you know, and working out my thumbs and, and my wife started to talk to me. And I knew that she was looking at me because after almost 11 years of marriage, you don't have to look to see if your wife is looking. You can just feel it. You know what I'm talking about? You can feel when your spouse is looking at you. I could feel that she was looking at me. And, and that's cool because she was talking and I was kind of listening. I mean, I'll, I'll say that. I was kind of listening, but not fully listening because I was engaged and I was texting. And at one point she was talking to me and I actually laughed because I laughed at the text. I was like, <laughs> and then that's kind of what got this biggest fight of our life started, okay? Because she looked at me and she said, are you even listening to what I'm saying? And I didn't answer at first because truth be told, no, I was, I was not at all. I was present, but I was not present. You know what I'm talking about? So I was texting and she said, Travis, are you even listening to me at all? And I looked up and I was like, huh? She's like, did you hear anything that I just said? And I said, well, I mean, I'm texting here. She's like, I've been talking to you like seven minutes. You didn't hear anything. You're not listening at all. And I said this, I said, well, I'm here and at least I'm half listening. That's what I said. Not an awesome thing to say. Like my, my justification was at least I'm half listening. But when you say half listening to your wife, that means the other half is not listening at all, 
right? So it's kind of like the glass empty, half full. It's not half full at all. It's just em- it's like half empty. And this got us into a rather colorful dialogue um, that, pers- you know, that kind of went on into the evening for a long time. The fact of the matter, and we still fight about it to this day, the fact of this, the matter is this. In our relationships with our husband and our wife, oftentimes we just need to stop and listen. Just stop and listen and listen carefully. And I would also add this, if, if you're in a conversation or even I would say the, the rumblings of maybe a little bit of a spat or a fight, listen carefully to what your spouse is saying. I mean, scripture tells us this. It says in James, it says everyone should be quick to listen. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that while they're talking, you're thinking of what you're going to say next. That's not listening, is it? No, that's the same thing as talking. You're talking to yourself, thinking about a rebuttal against what they're saying, right? That doesn't count. We're supposed to stop and listen. I'm sorry, sorry, stop and be quick to listen. Proverbs, once again, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. Basically, Scripture is telling us that if you're only concerned with getting out your opinions and your say and your stuff, you're a fool. You're a fool. So one of God's rules for fighting fair, number one, is found in James. Stop and listen carefully. Number two, I told you I'm going to go through this like a bullet point. Number two, guard your words faithfully. James 1.19 continues, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Turn to your neighbor and say, slow to speak. Yeah, slow to speak. Proverbs 21 says it like this, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut <laughs> and you will stay out of trouble. Man, just tattoo that on my arm, like 100%. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Here's the two questions that you want to ask yourself when emerging into a colorful uh, conversation with your spouse. Here are the two questions you want to ask. Should this thing be said and should this thing be said now? Should it be said and should it be now? Should it be said now? One of the things that we do when we're, when we're in, a, in a fight engaged with our spouse is uh, we use this term never. Never and always. Have you noticed that? Never and always. You never. You always. You never do that. You never. You never. And then what happens? Our spouse says, you never take out the garbage. And you say, oh, I never take out the, I took out the garbage last week. Yeah, but you always forget. And it just kind of continues on and on. Here's a list of nevers. (laughs) Here's a list of nevers for you. Never call names in a fight. Never with your wife, with your husband. Never call names. Never raise your voice. Never get historical. No, I didn't say hysterical. Don't do that either. (laughs) Never get historical. You know what I'm talking about. Never say never or always. We're going to make a little bit of an exception here today for this sermon. But never say never or always. Never threaten divorce. Never. And I would say the most important one, if you're going to take anything away from this sermon today, here it is. Never quote your pastor during a fight. Seriously, don't, please, 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 stop it. Just stop. It's happened, and I don't appreciate it. Please just don't do that, okay? Number three, number three, how to fight uh, God's rules for fighting fair. Number three, handle your anger righteously. This is an important one. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And then Scripture says in James 1.19, slow to become angry. 
Ephesians 4 says it like this in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Here's the whole idea. Anger is not a sin. I think a lot of times we think anger is a sin. But here's newsflash. Anger is not a sin. How you handle your anger, though, can become a sin. So the feeling of anger, being, being upset, that's not bad. That's a human emotion. That's not, that's not wrong. It's not, it's not sin, but it can become sin. It can. How you handle that anger can become sin. And I'll say this. This should not be a night that you go to sleep as a husband and wife angry with one another. Now, that sounds good, but, but it's also scriptural. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. What does that mean? It means don't go to sleep until you have resolved the issue. That might mean for some of us at some points in our life, we have to stay up very, very, very late. That might mean for some of you, you're going to literally have to call off work the next day. Because this is more important. Yeah? I mean, this is it. This, is, this covenant relationship is more important. One of the things that my wife and I seek to do, we're not always... Uh, consistent. I'm not always consistent in it. We work to, we like to, try to. Um, stemmed out of a conversation I had with somebody where they were going through a rough patch in their marriage and they said, you know, I just don't get it. I pray, uh, I pray with my wife like all the time. And I'm like, what do you mean you pray with your wife? And I'm like, well, you know, like we hold hands and we pray. We pray about our kids. We, you know, we pray about the issues of the day. And, and I said, well, let me stop you there. Do you ever pray for your wife? He said, what do you mean? I said, do you ever pray for your wife? He's like, well, I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, we pray about issues. And I said, no, 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 it's different. Praying for your wife, praying with your wife, those are two different things. And out of that came this this thing that my wife and I try to do where every single night, my goal for my wife and our relationship is that I want the last thing that she hears before we go to sleep are all the things that I'm thankful to God for about my wife. And so what that means is this. We get down on our knees and hold hands, and I pray over my wife. Does that make sense? And I, and I say, God, thank you for my wife. Thank you for the mother that she is. Thank you for her kindness. Thank you for her patience. Thank you for her love for me. Thank you that she's an awesome cook. Thank you very much for that. Thank you that she is long-suffering in this relationship with me. Thank you for her walk with you. God, she is a, she is a, a woman after your own heart. She's a Christ follower. She, she has the mind. And, the, and I go on and on and on and on and on. And that's what I want my wife to hear. The la- those are the last words I want her to hear. You see what I'm saying? Pray for your wife. And I'll tell you what's happened because of that. It's really hard for us to not resolve a fight now. Because I know at the end of the day, I have to stink and pray over my wife. (laughs) Which is something I came up with because I thought I'd be really cool and spiritual. And now I kind of regret it, to be honest with you. (laughs) And so it's not that we don't tip, it's not that we tiptoe around issues now because we don't want to get in a fight. It's just the fact that we have to resolve them. Or I am literally the biggest hypocrite in the entire world. Right? I mean, if there's a fight going on and you don't resolve it and you guys just go to different parts of the house, you just kind of ignore it and kind of sleep on it, wake up the next day and hope that it's gone. It is impossible to get down on your knees next to your wife, hold her hand and say, God, thank you for this loving, kind, gracious, wonderful woman. That's just impossible. You can't do it. Vice versa with your wife and you're praying over your husband. I want to encourage you. Don't just pray for your wife. Don't just pray for your husband, but pray I'm sorry, don't just pray with them, but rather also pray for them. It will be a wonderful thing for some of you husbands to talk to God about your wife in front of your wife. 
I'm sure those would be some things that she would love to hear. It would be an incredible thing for some of you wives to talk to God about your husband in front of your husband. I'm sure they would love to hear those things as well. Now, I've given you a couple things, three things, uh, God's rules for fighting fair. And I want to give you four quick things, four signs that you aren't fighting fair. Okay? Four signs that, you're, that you aren't fighting fair. And, and I also want to say this up front. I'm going to preach a little bit here too. I want to say this up front. The fact of the matter is it doesn't matter what the situation is in your marriage. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the situation is in your marriage, whether it's socks on the floor or dishes done wrong, or whether it's cheating or, or, or pornography or lying or, or abuse. Even if the other person has been unfair, don't miss this now, even if the other person has been unfair, you must fight fair. You hear me? You must fight fair. You are accountable to God to fight fair. Even if they are unfair, you must fight fair. Here are what I like to call the four horsemen of not fighting fair. Number one, criticizing. It's not fighting fair. Criticizing. This is complaining about your spouse. You didn't get gas. You never do. You always forget to call. You, you never do this. You always do this. You, you are this, you are that. Your mom, you know, my mother, my mother was right about you. You are this, you are that. First, the four horsemen. Number two, contempt. You know what contempt is, right? Disgust. Sarcasm. You ever get sarcastic in a fight? Not good. Sarcasm, maybe eye rolling, right, or mocking. None of those things lead to resolution. They lead to separation. Number three, Defensiveness, defensiveness, never taking accountability, never taking ownership, but saying, no, 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 it's not me. It's you. It's your fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. You did this. I didn't do that. You did that. This isn't my fault. That's your fault. Oh, yeah, well, I acted that way. I know that was wrong, but it's not really wrong because you acted that way first. Defensiveness. Number four, stonewalling. Now, let's just hone in real quick here for us as men, because this is like 85 to 90 percent of us. This is how we fight. We don't. <laughs> right? Like women escalate to anger like stairs, right? Like one step at a time. Uh, I'm bothered. Uh, I'm a little bit more upset. I'm getting there. I'm getting even more upset. Okay, now I'm angry. And then once that plateau happens, it happens for a while. And that's not it, right? Because then they have to come down. Just like they went up, they gotta come down. Like, ah, I know that we worked through this, but now I'm still mad at you. Okay, I'm a little less mad at you, and now, okay, and you got me flowers, and now everything's okay, and okay, we're fine. It's like a year-long process. I don't even understand it, right? For guys, it's simple. We're like shotguns. Just literally shoot it out, boom, huge explosion, then everything's fine. This is why guys can get in fist fights and then be best friends, like literally two seconds after. Punch each other in the face, and they're like, oh man, that really hurt. Yeah, man, you can really punch, you too. You wanna go grab a drink? Yeah, so that's awesome, we're best friends. <laughs> what? Like women are like, what just happened? I've got a year of therapy to go through. I can't even do that, right? We fight the same way in our relationships, in our marriages. And so for guys, if we don't explode all in one second, we just turn off. This is so frustrating to your wife. I don't even know if you get how frustrating this is. If your wife gets upset, it's gonna make her even more upset because she's just talking to you and you're like a stone wall. You know what I'm talking about, right? The husband that's just, he's got the controller, the, the, the remote, you know what I'm talking about? And he's just sitting there like this. And here's his wife and she's just going off. And this dude is, a, it's not that he's oblivious, he's just not listening. 
He has learned how to tune it out. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Dance with the stars is on. You know what I mean? Like, literally, she's going to town and yelling and screaming, and he's not doing anything at all except stonewalling. This is so dangerous. This is so, so dangerous. We don't even have time to get into how dangerous this is. But this is what most men do, the majority of men. After a while, they just ignore it. And then what happens is we sweep it under the blanket. The wife begins to say it's not even worth talking to him because he doesn't listen. The husband is happy, but not really, because now his wife's not yelling at him, but she is now emotionally void, and she has to have those emotional needs found somewhere else. And then the husband truly does explode, right? So these are the four horsemen of the uh, apocalypse, to be honest with you. Four signs that you're not fighting fair. Criticism, criticizing, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling. The idea here is that you should not fight against each other in marriage. It's not that you're not going to fight. Just don't fight against each other. Understand that you're to fight for your marriage and fight in your marriage against your enemy. Like the fighting that should truly be occurring in your, in your home shouldn't always be against each other. You guys should be fighting for your marriage and you should be fighting against the forces that are trying to ruin your marriage. Learn how to fight with your spouse. In fact, Romans 12 says it this way in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with, with good. Say good. good. Now say good. good. Overcome evil with good. You say, well, how do we do this? Simple, with Christ. How do we do this? How do we overcome evil with good? In our marriages, how do we overcome evil with good? It's simple, with Christ, because with Christ, all things are possible. Amen? With Christ, any marriage can be healed. With Christ, your marriage can be healed. With Christ, your marriage will be healed. And that sounds real good. And I could stop right there and probably walk away and you could say, with Christ, man, with Christ. But my problem is, I don't think you understand what that means. I'm concerned that when I say, with Christ, you hear, pray harder. My fear is that when I say, with Christ, you think, okay, I need to go to church more or I need to fight less. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. Because no matter if you pray harder or more, the fact of the matter is you're still gonna fight. No matter how many times you show up to church, you're still gonna fight. Even if you try to fight less, you're still gonna fight. You ever get in a fight where you're talking about how you wanna fight less, right? You're still gonna fight, it's the human condition. You're two people learning how to become one. So let me, let me tell you exactly what I mean. Let me tell you exactly what Romans 12 means. Do not be over, don't overcome, sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we do that? In a word, we said with Christ, but in a word, it's grace. Grace, grace. Now, when we hear the word grace, often, <laughs> right? Um, oftentimes we don't really know what it means. We hear it often. We just really don't know what it means. It's kind of like that, that, that gift that a friend gives you. You know what I mean? He gets you a gift or she gets you a gift and you open it up and you don't really know what it is. You know what I'm talking about? You open it up, you're like, oh, wow, geez, thanks. This is what it is. This is, this is, this is a gift. 
And like, do you like it? Oh, yeah, it's a gift. You know what I mean? <laughs> you ever have one of those? You, you really don't know what it is. You don't know really how it works or what it is, but you, it looks nice. And, and so when your friends come over to the house, you go to, your, you go to your storage unit, and you bring it out, and you set it out, and you're like, hey. And they walk in, like, there it is. And you're like, there it is. There's that gift. And like, do you like it? There, it's it now. It's right there. You know what I mean? I don't want to lie. We don't really know what grace is. The reason is because grace is difficult, isn't it? Grace is illogical. Grace is counterintuitive. It's, it's hard to, to ascertain. And, and so when grace comes up in a sea life group or, or a Bible study or just random conversation, you say like, oh, yeah, grace. I know what that is. But you don't. You don't. You, you pull it out of the closet and you set it on the coffee table when people come over to talk about grace. But you, you just don't know what it is. Grace is hard. We sing about grace. So your grace is enough, and by your grace, or, you know, your grace is building us, and we say things like, by the grace of God, but what, what is that really, what does it really mean? Grace is hard. It's difficult. It's hard to get. I mean, that's understandable, because it's only by the grace of God that we're here today. It's only by the grace of God that Jesus came to this earth. It's only by the grace of God that we can even fill our lungs with air. It's grace. It's difficult. Everything revolves around it, though, and it's a difficult doctrine. But I would like to propose, and here's, here's, the, uh, here's the point. I would like to propose that grace is much more a person than a principle. Grace is much more a person than a principle. We have made grace a principle or a concept, haven't we? We've made grace a doctrine or a teaching in Scripture. But, but grace is so much more than that, friends. Amen? Grace is so much more. Jesus himself is the personification of grace. That's who Jesus is. He is grace. And so if you're looking for grace, you, you, you don't have to look to a feeling or, or a gift or, or a warm fuzzy or a principle or a concept or a sermon or a podcast. If you're looking for grace, look for Jesus. Because Jesus is the personification of grace. Now in John chapter 1, verse 14, we read that Jesus Christ enters into this world. And it says that he enters in and he brings with him grace and truth. Now we're comfortable with truth. That means that everywhere that Jesus Christ goes, that he takes with him grace and truth. Now we're comfortable with truth, like I said, because we can wrap our heads around truth. When Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life, we can say truth is not a principle. Truth is a person. Truth is much easier to wrap our arms around, wrap our minds around, because truth is good, bad, um, evil, uh, or, or it's black, or it's white. You know what I'm saying? There's not really any gray or 50 shades of them. There's just not. Um, and so that's truth. Truth is, truth is a lot more easier to understand. But when we talk about grace, well, then it gets a little difficult. Grace is hard to understand. Grace says, I love you even though you don't love me, and maybe never will. I still love you. Grace says, I will continue to love you. Grace says, I will continue to pursue you. Grace says, I will continue to bless you. I will continue to show you favor. When you fall, I will still love you. When you fail, I will still love you. I will still love you in every moment in between the good days and the worst of days. I will never give up because I love you. I will never quit on you. I will not only be there in the struggle, but I will help get under your burdens and take over the weight of your struggle. That's grace. 
Sometimes when we talk about grace, some of us kind of get a little freaked out. Can we be honest? In church world, we kind of get a little nervous about it because we're like, ah, grace. Cool. That's good. I like truth, though. Truth puts people in place. Not so much grace. We treat grace kind of like, like we see it as like the get out of jail free card, don't we? You know, um, growing up, I had some friends and we discussed this in our sea life group. Um, I had some friends that were like, oh, yeah, man, I, I love me some grace. I can go out on the weekend and get my swerve on. Swerve on and show up on Sunday and get my grace. And I would say to you. If that's your perception of grace, you have met the concept of grace, but never the person of grace. If your view of grace is that it can be abused and and misused to the point where you can do whatever you want, and then because of grace you will still be accepted, then you are walking all over grace. You have met the concept or the principle of grace, but never the person of grace. Let me show you what I mean. Because we get freaked out when we talk about this. My wife, Vanessa, this is full disclosure. She's a much better spouse than me, okay? She's just a way, but she's better looking, a lot better looking. That's obvious. And she's just more loving. She is, she's just kinder. She's just sweeter. She's nicer. She knows my love languages and she loves me through my love languages. She listens to my ramblings. That's all I really need in life. She listens to my ramblings. Sometimes when I walk in the door, she's like, hey, stud, and that's, that's it. That's it. She knows what gets me, right? She's amazing. She's thoughtful. She's kind. Uh, yeah, it defies logic, to be honest with you. She's selfless, right? But, you know, in almost 11 years of marriage to my wife, there has never been a moment when because of, where because of Vanessa's amazing and very selfless love for me, that I ever, ever come to the logical conclusion that because she loves me so much that I could walk out, go and cheat on her and come back and she'll still love me. You understand that? I've never had that conclusion. Her love does not lead me to compromise. Her love for me leads me to more intimacy with her. What am I saying? I'm saying this, when you meet grace, when you meet true grace, when you look into the eyes of grace and you see grace for who he truly is, it will not lead you to compromise, it will lead you to righteousness. I'm not talking about the concept, I'm not talking about the principle, I'm talking about the man, Jesus Christ. It will not lead you to a place where you seek to take advantage of grace, but rather to a place where you will be so compelled by grace that it will change you from the inside out with humility and gratitude through the working of the Holy Spirit. That's what grace does. True grace, real grace. Now here's where it hits home, in conclusion, closing. Because in Ephesians chapter five, we see that we are supposed to love our spouses as Jesus, parentheses, grace, loves us, right? As he loves the church, rather. We are the church. In other words, our marriages should be a picture of continuous grace. Our marriages should be a picture of grace. On our best days, there's grace. On our worst days, there's grace. In the high moments, there's grace. In the middle of the the worst knock-down, drag-out fights, there should still be grace. Grace that says, no matter what, 
I'm still pursuing you. No matter how hard this is, we're not giving up. No matter how this goes down at the end of the day, we're going to run towards each other and not away from one another. If we would only show the same amount of grace that God has shown to us, to our wives, we would have extraordinary marriages. There wouldn't be the same issues. We would live extraordinary marriages, but we don't. Why? Because of fear. We don't want to say we live in fear, but we walk in fear all too often. Not a holy fear that we're supposed to view God with, but rather an earthly fear. Because we fear that as husbands, if we're to give grace to our wives in a moment of strong conversation and we back off and we have grace there, we're scared that it's going to down our masculinity. Let's just be honest. We have a view that like, well, if I show grace in this situation, she's gonna, I'm just not going to be as much of a man. And then for us wives or women, we're scared that if we show grace in the, in the middle of a fight, that we're just going to get walked on. We operate out of fear. The problem is, it's a principle, not the person. Because the person of grace and fear cannot live in the same realm. Grace and fear cannot coexist in this way. Because fear says, I won't do this because you will then do this. Grace says, even if you do this, I'll still love you. It's illogical, right? Fear says, I won't forgive you and because you'll probably just do it again. Grace says, even if you do it again, I'll still love you. Fear says, you're just going to take advantage of me. Grace says, even if you do take advantage of me, I will still love you. And grace is poured out on the cross. Do you ever think about that? from Jesus Christ to us. Jesus Christ died for people and loves people and pursues people who he knows will never love him. Does that make sense? It's illogical, but it's beautiful, isn't it? And it's supposed to be the picture of our marriage, not that we pursue people who aren't loving us, but that there's two people pursuing two imperfect people inside of a marriage. And when we have a marriage like this, when we have a husband and a wife and a covenantal view of marriage being sanctified through Jesus while equally showing grace to each other all along the way in every situation, what it means is you end up with an extraordinary marriage. And that's why we're able to say with Christ, all things are possible. With Christ, any marriage can be healed. With Christ, your marriage can be healed. With Christ, your marriage will be healed. Thank you for listening to this message from part three of our series, An Honest Love Story at Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us where you can invest in life change through giving or find more impactful sermon audio just like this. 